Farm Talk on CFRU 93.3 FM. Welcome to another edition of Food Farm Talk where we celebrate food and honor those who champion the cause of food in society. Welcome to another exciting edition of Food Farm Talk on CFRU 93.3 FM. I'm your host, Emily Duncan, and the show is also hosted by Abdul Rahim Abdullahi. If you're just tuning in this week, we're hosting the second part of a seminar that we aired last week. The seminar was put together by the Errol Food Institute and the Food from Thought Initiative at the University of Guelph, and it's a panel of experts talking about lessons for Canada's food system from the COVID-19 pandemic. So without further ado, I'll allow Renny Vanacker, the Dean of the Agricultural College, to introduce the panelists, and then we'll pick up right where we left off last week with the discussion about COVID-19 in the food system. Thank you so much for listening to Food Farm Talk on CFRU 93.3 FM. Hello everyone. My name is Renny Van Acker. I'm Dean of the Ontario Agricultural College at the University of Guelph. Welcome to this uh, first seminar. This is a combined seminar of the Errol Food Institute at the University of Guelph and the Food from Thought Initiative uh, also at the University of Guelph. The intent of the seminar is to bring uh, expert perspective and insight uh, into questions about potential impacts of uh, in the near and longer term of COVID-19 on Canada's food system and the myriad of questions uh, and implications that uh, may arise uh, because of that. The theme of today's seminar is in fact, what can Canada's food system take away from uh, the COVID-19 pandemic? We have uh, a great panel today. Our panelists include uh, Larry Goodridge. He is the Leung Professorship in Food Safety and the director of the uh, Center for Research in Food Safety, uh, Jess Haynes, who's an associate professor in the Department of Family Re Relations and Applied Nutrition, and one of the leads of the Guelph Family Health Study. We have Dana McCauley, who is director of New Venture Creation in the Research Innovation Office of the University of Guelph, and Mike von Massau. Uh, Mike is the OAC Chair in Food Systems Leadership and an associate professor in the Department of Food, Agricultural and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph. When we emerge from this pandemic and the introspection occurs, one of the, I think one of the lasting legacies will be a critical dive into the fact that we largely still remain a reactive society. So we've seen many examples of that um, during this pandemic. And I think this will allow the nation as a whole to really begin to have that critical dis discussion um, um, uh, around uh, moving from reactive to proactive. Um, I note that this is the third coronavirus uh, outbreak in the last 16 years. And I think that uh, we unfortunately will continue to see this. And I think uh, 
a lot of public health experts agree. So we really have to ask ourselves, uh, and to Mike's last point, you know, how do we solve these bumps in the road, um, assuming that we will see uh, an, another outbreak, hopefully not as major as this in the, past, in the future, how do we deal with that? And, and I think one solution is to really develop proactive approaches. So for example, just yesterday, the federal government announced that it was giving $20 million to the Canadian Food Inspection Agency uh, to improve food safety practices. And this is largely surrounding just general food safety practices, not, not necessarily to do with, with COVID-19. However, there were some aspects that were related to that. For example, um, the idea is that the CFIA would transition to flexible means for conducting inspections, um, including using electronic devices uh, during, during this pandemic. And that's something that could be used in the future. Also, um, Mike made a comment about packaged food. And, and I note that with this funding, the CFIA will, will work to um, make packaged foods more available at grocery stores and other retail outlets um, so that the idea is to hopefully reduce uh, food waste, um, which is, is certainly one of the uh, consequences of, of this pandemic. And then finally, um, in, in Alberta, um, in collaboration with the federal government, recently announced that federal and provincial inspectors would cooperate and work together um, during this pandemic. So these are things that, while useful now, certainly could be adopted as a roadmap going forward in a proactive manner so that if or when we see additional diseases and pandemics develop, we are in a much better uh, place to respond. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Larry. Um, when uh, this seminar was being set up, uh, we, uh, we reached out to uh, the community that uh, our partners uh, interact with the Arrow Food Institute uh, and uh, the broad uh, Food from Thought project. And, and they provided some questions that, uh, that they had that they were hoping the panelists could uh, dig into. And, uh, and so I'm gonna uh, ask some of those questions. The, the first one, um, relates to uh, what a friend of mine calls the universal thought of the day, which is, uh, what am I gonna eat? And, um, and in that respect, uh, I would be interested in the panel's perspectives on uh, how COVID uh, perhaps is changing our perspectives on food and maybe our priority uh, around food and what impacts uh, that may have on uh, what consumers do, what families do, and maybe what the food industry does. And so. Uh, maybe in particular, uh, I, I would look to maybe Jess to start with a perspective uh, on that question. Yeah, I think um, as Dana said in her uh, answer, initial answer was, I think we're going to see some changes that uh, might be just due to the fact that, you know, sort of temporary um, because our, our situation has changed so much. But I think what's really interesting too to think about is what are the ones that might sustain uh, afterwards. And so uh, at the Guelph Family Health Study, we look at families and look at how families interact around food and engage around food. So one of the questions we're really interested in is um, we have certainly heard from families and you'll, uh, if you look on social media, et cetera, that people have time to cook 
My joke is we have time to do everything, right? We have a lot of time on our hands and lots of people are spending it cooking. And um, so that is a, a shift. Uh, we previously had lots of families who just described themselves too busy. I don't have time to come home and prep a big meal. So I use prepared meals um, to feed my children, but now they do have time. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, we're looking at what happened before, but we're doing a measurement now to see how our families engaging their children in uh, meal prep, how much prep time our families taking. And I think the really interesting question is what do we see afterwards? You know, is it that, um, is it possible there's a bit of a shift to acknowledge like, oh, I actually, you know, the better I get at this, the faster it is. I can do this efficiently or hopefully sparking a bit of passion, you know, as opposed to something they have to do. Maybe they start to really enjoy it and maybe their children are motivators to do it because uh, they're interested. So um, I think that's one change that we're really interested to see because we know that when you prep meals at home, they typically are healthier than the foods you buy as prepared or out at restaurants. So it has some health implications. So we'll be interested to see if that's sustained. Thank you, Jess. Uh, are others interested in chiming in on that question? Uh, Dana? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm really heartened uh, as somebody who loves to cook herself that, that so many people are getting into the kitchen with their children. And I'm hopeful that this means that kids are, are, are going to be enabled to be more involved. And even if families go back to being super scheduled, which they will, and, uh, and I bet they'll enjoy that for a month or so, uh, I, I think this is ingraining meal planning. We can only go to the grocery store once a week. So we really have to think about eating. And the last 10 years or so, we've been able to, to have that universal question of the day be answered on a whim. I want sushi, I want this, I want that. Uh, whereas now that's not exact, we can still get takeout, but still we're, we're having to plan more. And hopefully those types of behaviors will mean that uh, we are seeing people do uh, more meal planning and, uh, and, and a little more cooking, even if it shifts to the weekend and it becomes sort of like knitting or, or you, know, what, uh, you know, another type of household project that used to be a daily chore, but is now, now a, uh, a, you know, a, a sometimes thing. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see people developing those skills and practicing those skills. Because I think once you realize that making a stir fry uh, is faster than waiting for Chinese food to arrive, you, you'll look at it a little differently. And that'll mean there'll be, a, again, a shift in what entrepreneurs and uh, food companies can contribute to, to consumers. Uh, of course, the, you know, I think the online shopping, this has you know, been the, the motivator to click people over into using online platforms to order their groceries. I, I think that a lot of people are looking forward to getting back to wandering around stores and, and uh, you know, chatting with the, uh, the butcher and that kind of thing. But, Again, I, I think that uh, long-term, there's now no question that online grocery shopping is uh, going to be just, you know, part of the fabric of day-to-day uh, -day urban life anyhow, if not, uh, if not possible out in the outskirts. Thank you, Dana, and I suspect Mike will want to follow exactly on that, perhaps. Well, I think uh, the, the first thing I'd say is I agree with Dana. I think we had seen relatively slow growth 
of the online either delivery or click and collect model, we've seen a rapid uh, escalation. Uh, I think some of that slow growth was people wanting the experience as Dana described and, and maybe having some uncertainty about the quality of produce they were going to get if someone else was selecting it for them or, uh, or you know, not wanting to wait and, and, and those sorts of things. And, and I expect for some people the experience is, has been better than they expected and that they won't go back. And that I expect for others, they'll say, well, now that the risk is reduced, I will go back to groceries. Uh, back to the grocery store. But I think without a doubt, we'll have seen a, a growth uh, in, that, in that approach uh, that uh, would not have happened in the absence. Uh, one thing uh, I th that will be interesting to see uh, is one of, the air, one, of, one of the industries hit hardest uh, by, uh, by this change in, in, in physical distancing has been restaurants. Uh, they are a relatively uh, low margin business uh, and so we're seeing significant pain. Uh, food service employs over a million Canadians and probably 85% of those Canadians are now unemployed. Uh, and even when, uh, I, I think we're already seeing stories that some of these restaurants will not survive this closure even with some of the government support we're seeing out there. And that's, to me, that's sad. And I think that also that restaurant industry is going to be one of the slowest to recover uh, because even as we get away for phys from physical distancing, uh, some people, particularly those who perceive themselves as vulnerable, will say, I'm going to wait till a vaccine is available and proven and tested before I'm willing to do things like go to restaurants again. And I think that will be something that goes beyond the next however long we are uh, in uh, working from home and, and home isolation, I think that the restaurant industry will recover uh, more slowly. And I think that's un uh, unfortunate. Uh, I also wonder if, if the way we shop uh, might, might also change a little bit uh, in that, uh, uh, in, in that those of us who are still going to the grocery store uh, are going less frequently. Uh, because we're saying, well, we want, we still want to shop, or there's a long wait for the delivery, or or whatever, uh, and we're shopping once every seven or eight days rather than every couple of days, as more and more people, particularly empty nesters like us, uh, we're doing, and and that will also change how we eat at home to a degree. The last point, if I may, is 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 that we're I think we're probably seeing a change in what we're eating at home. Not only are we cooking more, but many Canadians uh, are feeling an income pinch. And so we're probably uh, buying simpler items. We're probably buying cheaper cuts of meat. And so the relative prices of some of those things may change just as we see some of those relative demand changes going forward. Thank you. And, uh, and finally, uh, Larry, uh, I know you wanted to uh, comment on, on this question as well. Yes, uh, we know that many cases of foodborne illness occur as a result of improper food handling and preparation by consumers in their own kitchens. And so uh, if it is in fact true that uh, as a result of, of this uh, pandemic, more and more people will prepare food in their own homes, then I think we might expect an uptick in foodborne illnesses. And so I think one thing that would need to be done is that the government 
uh, federal government, provincial governments should really begin to think about more uh, education or educational material regarding food safety for consumers. Thanks, uh, Larry. Uh, another question uh, that came up, and it was it was really a follow-on uh, to this last question, and, and I know many of you um, uh, talked about shopping patterns. Um, there was a question about uh, whether uh, COVID and, and the way it's shifting in the, in the very near term, immediately shopping patterns, uh, will also have an impact on um, what consumers are looking for uh, in terms of domestic uh, versus uh, imported uh, or local. Um, what will it do in terms of, of that, um, that trend also? So uh, I don't know who would like to weigh in uh, first uh, on that. Um, Jess, I might I might ask you to to, to go first on this one again uh, in terms of how how families uh, are perceiving that or might perceive that. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question, um, uh, and I think it links to what Larry had said. It will depend, I think, how much people see food potentially as a risk. Uh, so where they're where they're accessing their food, if they believe there's risk related uh, to the to um, illnesses. Um, I think the other thing um, will also be the price sensitivity that some of those um, options for local um, sort of potentially local artisan type things that can be more expensive. Um, it's just going to be difficult for families who are struggling economically to afford them. Um, so I think it will be interesting to see people's response because I think there's a few factors that could be influencing some of those choice around um, uh, local foods versus some of those um, imported options. And uh, Mike, I think uh, you wanted to, to uh, comment. I, I think I think that we when we see times like this, we, we have a this this impulse to be to to be maybe not insular, but to be supportive of our local communities. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think a lot of those things make a ton of sense. If we can find ways to support local producers or local retailers or local entrepreneurs, as Dana said, I think those are those are great things. One of the one of the beauties of our food system is that we have all of this choice, uh, and 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 I think that there will be an inclination to 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 find some of those local sources. I think though uh, something that we should we should think a little bit about is I've I've heard some arguments that we should sort of become more insular as as a nation and and really shorten supply chains and focus on local production and i think in many ways uh, there are some benefits to that but but i'll go back to what i said at the beginning is we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater and think about some of these relative risks if we uh, if we stopped buying imported goods altogether well we wouldn't have brussels sprouts and 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 uh, and broccoli in the winter notwithstanding some uh, uh, greenhouse capacity in this country, but there are also other risks. Uh, we talked about the, the beef plant in, in the outside of Calgary, representing 40% of the packing capacity in this country. Given our integrated system, we don't have it representing 40% of our beef production within the system, and that buffers the risk. Uh, and uh, crop production is a biological process. And if we have, as an example, uh, 
an exclusive focus on a specific region and we have a drought or hail or other weather calamity, uh, we don't have the ability to sort of supplement. So uh, I think buying local, supporting your local, if it makes sense and if it's something you want, uh, makes perfect sense. But cutting ties to a global marketplace uh, brings its own risks along with it. Dana, I wonder if I could ask you to comment uh, on how the, um, how the startup and entrepreneurial community in the food sector might, might view that sort of question. Yeah, it's an excellent question because you're right. Big companies do, um, do, do think differently and market themselves differently and, and have uh, different decision-making trees at play. Entrepreneurs generally in the past, uh, and I think will continue into the future, are advised to try and be a hometown hero first. And a lot of the education I do with growing companies is how to take that unique selling point of being the local uh, supplier and the champion of, of your area and, and, and become uh, able to, to branch out into other parts of, of um, you know, their geographical reach. So they probably will continue to, to do that because it's simple and it gives them an opportunity to, to know a lot of people in their community and to leverage the, the brands and reputations of their, their partners in their supply chain. But I do think that uh, maybe a little bit outside of like food, food itself, but into other types of household uh, goods and, and other parts of our, our basket. I, I do think being Canadian made will, will continue to be a really big motivator. I um, see a lot of people in social media right now talking about how vulnerable we are at not being able to make um, you know, particular items at this point in time because they have to come from, ingredients come from other countries, parts come from other countries. And, uh, and, I, and I, think, I think that that nationalism will, will probably cast a, a, you know, a shadow and, a, and, a, and an effect uh, into the future. But, um, you know, for, for the companies who are, are, are really just trying to, to rebound and get back out there, I, I think that uh, if they're entrepreneurial and they're owned and operated in a particular province or town, that uh, regardless of where they get their stuff from, I think that to Mike's point, there's a lot of heart for, for you know, helping our neighbors right now in my local community. We have a really vibrant farmer's market that starts usually in May and goes to October every Thursday between like 5 and 8 p.m. And there's all kinds of people saying, how are we going to make the farmer's market work? You know, can we move it online? Can we do this? Can we do that? So there's this bridge between um, community activism and, and, and entrepreneurs and, and suppliers that is um, uh, keeping people, I think, feeling connected even when they can't literally see one another. So there's, there's an interesting social dynamic there that I, I'm probably not qualified to, to dig into and understand, but that I can note. Thanks very much, Dana. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask one more question and then we will uh, have to wrap up. Uh, the last question uh, is really around a, a much broader perspective, and it's a question about how uh, this crisis uh, might be impacting uh, both provincial and federal strategies uh, in relation to Canada's food system. So I, I wonder what perspectives uh, our, our panelists might have 
uh, in that regard. What changes might be coming both uh, provincially and federally, uh, what shifts there might be, what uh, refocus uh, there might be around our food system given, uh, given the, um, the pandemic. Um, who, would, who would like to have a, a first go at, uh, at that very broad question? Um, Mike, maybe can I ask you to, to go first? Sure, I'll, sure, I'll jump in, and 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 I'm going to uh, steal one of Larry's ideas. If uh, give, given that I'm getting to go first, is is we've seen to a significant degree uh, reaction uh, to uh, historically to to issues, and and I think we'll probably see a real focus both at the provincial and the federal, and frankly at the municipal level to. Uh, to planning. I mean, we can't plan for everything and we can't anticipate everything. And there, were, there may be some risks that we say uh, the, the low probability, high impact, there's not a lot we can do for those. So I think we'll see a much more, uh, a much more proactive planning relating to the, to the food system. I think uh, Jess made a good point in her opening to say that Food security in this country uh, and in many developed countries is, is about income and not about availability. Uh, and I think uh, we, we've heard the federal government talk about a food policy for Canada. I think we're seeing the provincial governments talk about those sorts of things as well. And, and having a conversation around food security that, that, that focuses on income rather than access uh, I think will be something that, that will be that that for sure we will be a, will be looking at in in more detail. Last point I'll make is is around food processing strategy, where I talked early uh, about processing being a pinch point, uh, and and even if it's not uh, in anticipation of another outbreak, uh, finding ways to add more value to our agricultural products here in Canada rather than shipping raw raw ingredients out and importing processed products back, uh, not only gives us some risk reduction in terms of, uh, of emergency preparedness, but frankly creates economic activity in this country that, that, that we can use. Uh, and, and I expect that, that initiatives around enhancing our food processing capacity will be a, uh, a, a wonderful uh, outcome of the pinch that we had here in this circumstance. Uh, would one other panelist, uh, we, we are uh, getting short on time, but I wonder if one other panelist uh, would also like to, um, to chime in on that very broad uh, question. Dana? Yeah, I'll just say that, you know, I've, I've been, um, and I can't remember who said it, uh, I think it was just that, you know, it's been remarkable how quickly the government has jumped in to, to you know, try to, to shore up our, 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 our foundation of social safety. But when they decide to open the economy, I think that businesses will see a lot of incentives for helping them to, to ramp up very, very quickly, whether that's um, support for doing R&D to be more competitive, et cetera. So I'm, I'm quite hopeful that what this government has shown us at every level, at least uh, uh, provincially here in Ontario and, and, uh, and federally, that they're going to follow that up. They seem to be remarkably thoughtful. And I think that they are already planning 
to have incentives in place to help reinvigorate manufacturing and restaurants and, and many other sectors. So I, uh, I, I've got my, um, my, my fingers crossed that that's going to help a lot of businesses to, to recoup what they've, they're losing right now. Well, thank you, uh, everyone. I'd like to thank our panel again, uh, Dana McCauley, uh, Larry Goodrich, Jess Haynes, and Mike Von Masso uh, here at the University of Guelph. Uh, excellent insights. Uh, it's a pleasure to, uh, to be able to tap into your expertise and to get your perspectives on, um, on what uh, is, you know, arguably uh, such, uh, such an important sector for all of us. And, um, and not an optional sector, uh, our food. Uh, I would like to thank uh, the Errol Food Institute for organizing this seminar, uh, one of a series that uh, will be developed to um, allow for these kinds of uh, deeper perspectives, expert perspectives on important questions, especially in relation uh, to food. Uh, and I'd like to thank uh, all of you for watching. Uh, please uh, stay safe and stay healthy. Thanks everyone. Thank you for listening to Food Farm Talk. See you next week for another exciting edition.